Listener Production. If a coach talks to you, a mentor talks with you, a sponsor talks about you. They talk about you in audiences you wouldn't normally get access to. They're there to promote you and to propel you as you navigate your way through the workplace. I'm Margie Hartley, executive coach to senior leaders around the globe, and this is Fast Track. Have you got a sponsor? This is a question that is recently posed to workers and it's a discussion that's particularly held for women. So I'm really keen to get to the heart of this topic and get some evidence-based information on what sponsorship is at work, how it's different to any other sort of relationship and why we should have one. As we navigate ourselves out of the disconnected period of remote work and back into a new hybrid model, I also want to understand what role leaders can play as sponsors in the workplace. To discuss this topic with me today is Dr. Jess Murphy. Jess is known to disrupt the status quo through her work as a leadership and gender equity consultant in her company Pathway to Your Potential, as well as being an adjunct professor at Torrens University. Jess's work has impacted many individuals and has also transformed the way people view the interactions at work. So I'm thrilled to have her here to discuss this important topic. Jess, thank you so much for coming in. I've been dying to talk about sponsorship with you. Let's start at the top. What is sponsorship? Thanks, Margie. Great question. And I think the best way to respond to that is to talk about three key terms that get mixed into this whole conversation. So if a coach talks to you, a mentor talks with you, normally, for example, over coffee, sharing their experiences, a sponsor talks about you. They talk about you in audiences you wouldn't normally get access to. They're there to promote you and to propel you as you navigate your way through the workplace. So that's how I differentiate between coach, mentor and sponsor. So why is sponsorship needed and why isn't this just sort of a normal course of a business life that, you know, you'll get promoted because people say you do good work? Yes, well, we'd like for that to happen where our great work is recognised. But, you know, there's this concept of meritocracy. And and for me, I actually think it's a myth. And the analogy that I use to describe why I think it is a a myth comes, um, I guess, in terms of visualising a lake If the workplace was a meritocracy, two people of equal talent and capability, they would enter the lake and swim across to the other side and it would be the person with the greatest capability that would get to the other side first. That's what I would call meritocracy. Organisations, however, operate, I think, like oceans, where there's rips and currents and they're invisible. And so for some of us, when we enter the workplace, there's currents that propel us forward because we're part of the in-group and we don't even realise that we're part of the in-group. For others, there's rips that hold us back. And even though we're swimming just as hard, sometimes even harder than our peers who are being propelled by that invisible current, these rips are holding us back. And so sponsorship to me is about leaders organising and I guess recognising 
that the organisation that we work within is not a meritocracy, it's an ocean, and it's their role and responsibility to recognise talent in all its forms, to see the rips and the currents that are playing out and to make sure that they're supporting those that are caught up in the rifts by actively sponsoring them, to make sure that they're seen and they're given the same opportunities as their counterparts who are, you know, being propelled along in that current completely unknown to them. Mm. So is sponsorship just for those who are in the groups that are non-privileged or disadvantaged in some way or as you've very, very articulately given us a sense of the caught in the rip so my hypothesis is, and there's a lot of research out there, is that we naturally as humans have affinity bias, which means that we're attracted to people who look like us, who have had similar experiences to us. And if you look at organisations in most industries, in most geographies across the world, they are male dominated at that top end of leadership levels. And so those leaders easily spot talent that looks like them. Easily identify that talent because it's like the mini-me syndrome. It's easy to spot someone that looks like you and they informally sponsor that talent unbeknownst to them normally. It's unconscious. What we want to do is we want to raise those leaders' antenna to move beyond that natural affinity bias, to actually put themselves out there and recognise talent in all its forms and, in an essence, spread their sponsorship love equitably. And what I mean by that is identify those that are caught in the rips, those invisible barriers that hold some people back and actively look to sponsor that talent that is different to the norm and use their power and their privilege as leaders to help propel and protect that talent through the organisational hierarchies. So it's not patronising in any way then, it's really about navigating a system. Absolutely. And and as we all know, organisations are systems and there's unwritten rules around how the dynamics in organisations work. And when you're part of the in-group, you naturally get favoured because you're in the in-group. When you're part of the out-group, you know what it feels to be excluded. And if you've got someone of power and privilege that's putting their reputation on the line to back you and to protect you, that can have a big impact on the range of opportunities that you're given access to. Or potentially, you know, it's a great opportunity for someone senior to you to basically say, I rate this person. This person may be considered high risk because they haven't done it before or because we haven't had someone with this experience before, but I'm putting my relationship capital on the line for this person and I'm backing them. And that's what we need more of. Okay. So you've given a bit of a description there. Can you help me understand what it would really look like? Because I suspect that some leaders go, yeah, yeah, I'm sponsoring everybody in my team. Oh yeah. And you know, I'm really spreading the love. Yeah. What does it look like if someone actively sponsors someone? Can you give me an example? We do it informally all the time, unconsciously all the time. So it's when we go into the meeting with a group of peers and we just happen to mention a great job that Tom did. And we say things like, you know, Tom's a fantastic team member. He's great in our team. And, you know, we really need to keep some eye out for opportunities for Tom to really, you know, achieve his potential. Or it could be when you're having a conversation in the lifts as we all move back to the office these days and you haven't seen someone in a while and you say, hey, you know, just letting you know I, I had an experience with 
Bill and Bill was fantastic. You know, I just wanted to pass on the feedback that, you know, Bill's doing a terrific job in your team. That's all about endorsement. And it's all about recognising individuals and using your opportunity to vouch for them. And it comes really easy to people that look like us, that we identify with. There is a bit of cognitive dissonance in play, though, when it's someone different to us. And if I'm speaking really honestly, there can be a barrier between senior men sponsoring up-and-coming women. Okay, why is that? I'm really curious because, you know, I did want to ask you what the evidence tells us, particularly about those metrics and the difference for women. So can you expand on that last thought? So a couple of things. As we all know, the Me Too movement, you know, started quite a few years ago now, and it's been fantastic that we've had some transparency come into play and there's greater accountability. With that, though, I have seen a lot of men take quite a strong risk-adverse approach. What I mean by that is that they don't feel comfortable meeting with women one-on-one. And in fact, I've had some senior male leaders say to me that they won't meet with women unless it's a glass office or unless there's other people present to make sure that for whatever reason, they feel that the risk is lowered around any potential claims. Now, what that does is actually create a whole nother form of RIP that I was referring to earlier in terms of the invisible barriers of getting access to senior leaders and having those senior leaders back here. Those senior leaders, the people above us, they have access to opportunities. They're the ones that will go and vouch for us and they will connect us to new people and new opportunities. If you're not in the vicinity, if you're not part of that conversation, then you miss out. And so, you know, there's some really strong research by authors like Herminia Abara, who's a professional organisational behaviour at London Business School, and also Sylvia Ann Hewlett, another Cambridge-educated economist who's an expert in gender and workplaces, that really points to the fact that we need men to get comfortable sponsoring women um, because that's what equity is all about, is offering that same level of sponsorship to all talent, not just those that we feel comfortable with. And so for me, there's a real opportunity to build confidence and capability with senior men to get comfortable sponsoring those different to them. So if the barrier is actually the new feminist movement, it seems like the great irony of all time that that it's a barrier. What's the way out of that? I think it's having honest and transparent conversations and for organisations to invest in formal sponsorship programs. We know that informal sponsorship happens all day, every day. What we want organisations to do is to understand that paradox that you've rightly identified, that there's a fear of senior leaders investing in sponsorship because it might be misconstrued as something else. And if organisations invest in formal sponsorship program, it starts to normalise senior men having conversations with up-and-coming women because you can say, yes, I'm having coffee with Margie because I'm sponsoring her as part of the sponsorship program that we're running. And it helps us normalise the fact that these conversations need to happen. It's all part and parcel of the workplace. And so based on that, using the word I'm a sponsor or I'm sponsoring someone, so it's quite explicit in your mind? Formal programs, yes. When organisations invest in formal programs, we do a lot of work with the sponsors who are senior leaders, most normally men, 
to normalise what sponsorship is and, and to be really clear around what effective sponsorship looks like. So, yes, we would encourage them to use those terms that, yes, I'm formally sponsoring Margie in, in our organisational sponsorship program. When it's informal sponsorship, I think we, we recommend for leaders just to have their antenna up because they're inadvertently, unconsciously, informally sponsoring others all the time. And so what we want to do is to raise their awareness around how equitably are they spreading their sponsorship. And so there's a real insight coming through that they'll realise, oh, hang on a sec, I've spoken really positively about Tom, but I haven't actually spoken positively about Tina at all. And it's that awareness that then creates the action to change that behaviour. It feels like this is sort of a knowledge worker, white collar activity as opposed to in any other industries. Does it apply everywhere? My experience is that it definitely applies everywhere and most importantly in non-traditional workplaces for women. Specifically, I've done some work in the construction industry and my goodness, it was just an eye-opener for those senior male leaders to understand just how implicitly they sponsor other men. And when they had that awareness, they suddenly realised that they were inadvertently offering a whole lot of opportunities to people who looked like them, who spoke like them, who had the same experience as them. And when we identified that awareness, they were then able to work through why were they holding back on sponsoring some of these fabulously talented women? And it was through, you know, them assuming there was a risk associated with them sponsoring. But the moment that we conducted a formal sponsorship program and gave them permission to talk openly about what they were doing, to introduce them to their networks, to endorse these women around the fantastic work they were doing, they suddenly just became alight with, you know, that altruistic motivation to do the right thing because they suddenly had that epiphany, oh, my goodness, I've missed out on a whole 50% of the population because I've just been far more comfortable unconsciously sponsoring people like me. Mm. And there was a real equity driver in them, you know, being very determined that they needed to make up lost time and make amends for that unconscious behaviour that had now become conscious. Have you got any results from that intervention that you had did? Yeah, in all the work that we do, Margie, we look to measure impact. And the way that we do that is we measure pre-program, immediately post-program, and then six months later. And what we're looking to do is embed behavioural change, not just in terms of the sponsees receiving promotions, but more importantly, around the sponsors having the confidence and the capability to sponsor others effectively. The great news is, is in all the work that we do, and in particular with this particular construction case study, over 40% of the sponsees had received a promotion six months on from the formal sponsorship program ending, which is fantastic. A lot of the verbatim comments were, you know, I was aiming for this maybe in two years, but I actually received it in under six months because my sponsor opened his network to me. My sponsor backed me in conversations. My sponsor made sure the right conversations were being had with the right people and that opened doors for me. For the sponsors, they were completely overwhelmed with how something so simple, having a conversation, 
introducing someone into their network could have such a profound impact on the sponsee's career. It feels like the action part, the sponsoring is the action part of mentoring in some ways, or it's using the power dynamic or whatever exists there with one person to create an action and momentum. You're absolutely right. And I think um, it is action orientated. Absolutely. That's how we know it's being done effectively when others give us feedback around what the sponsor is doing. So it's really easy for us to measure impact because we hear about, you know, how well the sponsor is doing and introducing the sponsee into their networks. The other key piece is that with sponsorship, particularly in the formal programs, it's about stepping into the shoes of another having the empathy to understand that the workplace is not equal, that different opportunities are arising. And so we know with the sponsors, when they do it effectively, they suddenly not only want to help that one individual that they've been connected with in the program, they want to change the system. And the great news is, is they have the power and the privilege because they are the system owners in most instances to change the system. And so it's not just about this one-on-one sponsorship relationship. It's actually about them being leaders and stepping up, recognising the problem, and now they've start to challenge and disrupt the status quo to create a more equitable playing field for all. I was going to ask you, Jess, is this just a, I'm a leader and I can go out and be a sponsor? Is it an organisational requirement and part of the culture? What are the tips about that piece moving forward? It's all of the above. So the great news is, Margie, that all of us have the capability of being an effective sponsor, every single one of us. We have the ability to have conversations with others that can highlight individuals and really endorse them or, you know, protect them from perhaps risk or perceived risk in opportunities being put forward. All of us can play that role. Introducing people into our networks, another really simple action that all of us can take. So that's at the individual level. At the organisational level, it's all about understanding the impact that we have as leaders. And I I refer to formal leaders here because we sometimes don't understand the shadows that we cast and the impact that we can have when we take really simple actions. And so I believe if organisations start holding their leaders accountable by investing in building the capability to sponsor others different to them effectively, that's when we can accelerate change. And all of this is available to us. You've spoken about women, and we've both spoken about women as a disadvantaged group. What about other disadvantaged groups? Does sponsorship work as effectively for them? Absolutely. And of course, you know, we don't just lump women into that. We all have intersectional identities. Uh, And so I would even go as far as separating introverts and extroverts in terms of personality preferences and the very strong indications that organisations prefer those that are the loudest in the organisation. They seem to be the ones that get promoted sooner uh, because their voice is the loudest or they've got the most connected networks. So I would actually say that there's a whole range of individuals that would benefit from sponsorship. And of course, if each of us take up the opportunity to sponsor someone else, we can actually make that happen because I challenge all leaders, including myself, to do one action to sponsor someone different to me each day. That's just a daily habit that I do. And so every day I'll, you know, see my interactions, who's someone that I've seen great work from or someone that I can introduce to, but they have to be different to me. Mm. And so I myself am building that sponsorship capability and demonstrating the importance of it. 
You've answered probably this question, but I would like just to summarise this extraordinarily informative and interesting conversation about the tips for a, if someone's listening to create a culture of sponsorship and then literally what can a leader do? And you've said to us they can sponsor someone every day, but what, what else can they do and how do we get the momentum going in an organisation? So if we look at a, an everyday moment, for example, a team meeting, I would recommend that there will be voices around the table that aren't getting enough airplay in those team meetings. A simple task that you could do if you wanted to sponsor someone would be to open up that conversation and say, hey, we haven't heard from Margie for a while. Margie, I'm sure you've got a contribution to add here. Could you let us know what you're thinking? It's the the way into the conversation. Another example would be if you're going on a client call or if you're going on a, a Teams or a Zoom meeting with a client to bring someone in who hasn't had exposure to that client or that type of meeting before. Our day is made up with opportunities. It's just having the awareness to open those opportunities up to others. Okay. And in an organisation, is your recommendation always some sort of formal intervention first and then building it into the culture? Yeah, absolutely. Coaching and mentoring definitely have their place. I think if we're wanting to accelerate change and to retain and attract talent in all its forms... Every organisation should be investing in sponsorship capability. And it really is getting us comfortable with those different from us in whatever dimension you you want to to look at. It's the only way for us to tap into that latent potential sitting there in all of us. And I think if organisations look to continue on with those important attributes of coaching and mentoring, but we need to activate, as you said, we need to activate the actions that make a difference in someone's career. And that's all about publicly endorsing them to others, opening up your networks and making sure that you're spreading your sponsorship love equitably to those that really need it. And as important as the teacher that enabled us to create a love of learning or move on to in a field that we really became passionate about, I believe what you're telling us is a sponsor can really make a huge difference in that career trajectory. You're absolutely right. And I think it's upon all of us to leave the organisation better than how we found it. And so if we're truly committed to the organisational values, to our purpose um, in developing talent, then why wouldn't we want to invest in sponsoring those different to us? Mm. Dr. Jess Murphy, what a pleasure to speak to you. Thank you so much for enlightening us about sponsorship. It feels a lot more simple than it felt before the conversation, a much more accessible and the right thing to do. My pleasure, Margie. Fast Track was presented by me, Margie Hartley. Producer, Tina Matalov. Audio production by Nikki Sitch. Executive producer, Jennifer Goggin. Listener.